This episode of A Beacon of Hope is proudly brought to you by Campfire Studios. To find out more, visit campfirestudios.co.nz. A Beacon of Hope is a weekly podcast that shines a light on the human spirit and explores the power of hope in our lives. Join me, Will Fleming, as I talk to people from all walks of life about where they find hope and how they use it to navigate life's challenges. Be good. Be safe. And be happy. Dr. Lehan Stemmett is a renowned expert in personal and organizational development. In this episode, we delve into Lehan's unique insights on leadership, resilience, and neuroscience that will empower you to tackle life's challenges with confidence. A warning, this podcast does talk about sexual abuse, so please do reach out to your trusted networks if anything triggers you in our chat today. Let's jump into the podcast with me and Lehan getting stuck into a chat around archaeology and how that's a metaphor for trying to better understand our minds. Yeah, you brought up archaeology, and I, I guess we're going, Guy? Yep. <laughs> oh, right. We're always we just, a, me and you, we always just go for it. But isn't that interesting that when we think about archaeology, for example, yeah. it's totally cool to dig into the past, literally. Yes, yes. But when we talk about our lives, we only want to stand on top of the earth, don't we? Yes. And in fact, it scares us to dig yeah. into the past. But if we're saying an archaeologist can only find out things from the past for the future. It makes total sense. Yeah. And I guess that's where, you know, that's where the bravery comes in, that there is something worth, uh, well, digging into Mm -hmm. from your past for the future. Mm. Um, Anyway, Dr. Lehan Stemmett, welcome to the podcast, man. (laughs) We've had like half an hour before recording of um, just us going full on deep into hope. Let me start with a couple of questions for you. Please go for it. Uh, What is something that you are most proud of in your life? It's a tricky one, Will. But I think what I'm most proud of is when I see my kids say things and do things that I try to instill in them. Because, mm. you know, if you sort of adding, you know, adding that to the theme of hope is you know, you, if you start digging into the things that we've done in the past and so forth, the things we've learned, that's the one thing that you do want to see in your kids because that's the legacy. That's mm. a little a little part of me mm. that I can see living living on in them. And it kind of makes all the other stuff worth it, eh? Mm. And so if I take it beyond my children, it's also seeing that in other people's lives who maybe I've said something that I've that, that touched their lives in some way that they can instill a little bit of hope in someone else as mm. well. So it's every time I see a little bit of something that I've had to go through or experience and learn something from and grew from adding value to someone else. Yeah. But specifically my children, that's really what gets me going, man. And because they will watch this one day, because yeah. there's a digital record, which I, I get a buzz out of, you know, I actually mm. think it's scary that there's so many people lost with just a picture. Yeah. I mean, man, we've got cameras, we've got mics yep. now, we can capture it. What are some of those things that you should say out loud that they should listen to of things you're proud of? Because yeah. if we talk archaeology, they might listen to this when they're our age. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the idea that they will pick up, they will mine for your mannerisms, mm. they will look at how you are acting, and be like, "That's my dad." But what are those? They need to hear you say that. So, mm. what are some of those things that, like, um, you're most proud of for, for them? Well, number one, I want them to know that there's always unconditional love, never mind what it is, because I think that that really pushes things. I want them to know that there's unconditional love. I want them to know that that is something that fuels them. Um, but also that fuels other people. I want them to read my book because the book wasn't just written for other people. I want them to read the book because there's a lot of life lessons in there that shouldn't go to waste. That might be very valuable for them, for people they know and people they interact with, for their kids. I mean, that's the whole aim is, you know, I didn't write the book because I know a lot of stuff. I wrote the book because I'm going, well, how do I tell my story, my learnings, Mm. my development, my growth, and what I'm still struggling with? How do I tell that to them if I'm not around um, because they're still very young. Right? So that's one of the things. I want them to go and read the book because there's a lot of stuff in there that I think will be valuable for them. Um, I also want them to be curious and be afraid. 
be very curious about life. You know, everything that comes your way is just an incredible opportunity to learn something. Mm. It's going to be tough, you know, um, but the scars tell a story. So go for it, you know, experience the stuff. Um, seek support, seek the help that you need as well. Don't be shy to ask for help and do not be asked, shame, uh, don't, don't be shy to also offer help to other people because mm. even that will be an opportunity to, to learn something, an opportunity to grow, but also an opportunity to show that you care about other people and it's an opportunity to actually, you know, in the spirit of this, to find hope, mm. the hope in, how do I put this? I think there's, there's tremendous power in being a beacon of hope for someone else. And we're going to probably dig into that a bit yeah. more, right? But I think there's tremendous power and motivation and encouragement for you as a human being to also find hope and be the hope and, and help someone else find hope and then see them, see them experience that joy of, of experiencing the mm. hope. Mm. I'll just balance this carefully because mm. I love the idea with them in your picture mm. or in your vision at the moment. Are you comfortable enough to share their first name? Yeah. So I've got oldest one is Ziva. She's now just turning 10 this year. Second one is Anya. She's now nine. And the third one is Joel. He's eight. So they're so, very close in age. And we'll keep privacy, but they will love that because mm. something cool about your parents saying your name. Yeah. With them in vision, what's one example of where you found hope mm. in a tougher time in life that they'll be able to channel? When I was about their age, I went through a pretty difficult time as a kid. You know, there was there was a whole bunch of abuse that happened as well. It wasn't within my family. It was actually somebody in the neighborhood. And, and going through that journey of understanding the abuse and going through the journey of understanding not just why is this happening, thinking about why is this happening to me, focusing mm. on the me part, that's very much a victim mentality. But focusing on the why is this happening then leads to another question, well, what can I do with this thing that is happening? Mm. How can I not just take more from this that it's that you know, take more from this thing than it's taking from me, but how can I use this thing to grow and to make a contribution? The philosophy of my life's always been deal with it. And uh, not because I want to be hard and tough, but because I think it's the only way to get through stuff is you've got to face it, you've got to deal with it, you've got to put things in place to make it happen. But that's not the end of the story. The real power is deal with the thing that you need to deal with because you can then use it to inspire either yourself or other people, preferably also other people. I think there's always that find the inspiration in the thing, what you can, what you can learn from it, find what you can do with that because I think there's power in that. You know, don't just think about what it's doing to you. Mm. Think about what you can do with that thing mm. as well. That's where the power lies. And there's always purpose. And so it sounds like semantics, but there's a massive difference between asking the question around what is the purpose in this thing? Quite often we can't find the purpose in the pain. And asking the question, what is the purpose of this thing? Mm. So to make that maybe, to illustrate that point, um, there's a condition called congenital pain insensitivity where people simply cannot feel pain. And if you ask them, what's the purpose of pain, they will tell you. Pain helps me to not injure myself. Pain helps me to stay alive. Pain helps me to, you know, not fall, um, burn myself. If you ask the people that care about them, what's the purpose of pain? They've got a very different approach to this as well, where they say exactly the same thing as, I know pain actually keeps my kids safe, for example. So, mm. I think asking those questions is a powerful thing. Use use the pain. Use the pain to learn from, to grow from, to make sure that you're on the right track, to not fall off the fall off the track, yeah. um, to keep the momentum, to focus. Um and you can also use other people's pain to learn from as well. You can see, you know, don't touch that thing because it hurt that person. Mm. Um and, and that's what they learned from it. So don't just watch what happens to other people if they experience pain? Watch what they do as a result of the pain that they've experienced as well. I think there's also there's a lot of learning that we can do from that. Mm. Watch what other people do. Um, seek those people who have been on a journey that is beyond your journey because you're going to learn from them and also then be the person that is a little bit further along the journey than someone else so that you can not just look back but also step back and help them and say, hey, you know what? Things are going to be okay. Offer the help. Don't wait for them to help, yeah. to ask for the help. You know, I just, when you were talking, the word deal with it kept going through my mind. Mm. And I started seeing it in two different ways. One, we deal with it in real time. Yeah. And then there's the other part with it is what were we dealing with? And mm. I want to ask you about that if you'll go with us because I want to 
tell me if I'm pushing too much, but what were you dealing with when you were young? You know, what is that pain that you're talking yeah. about? And can you share that? Yeah. Because I want to get to the other side of that, which is hopefully the story is pain pushed you mm. to use the pain. Mm. But it's very hard to talk about that. Yeah. Well, so I'm not going to go and share too much because some of it I need to, you know, respect other people who were, who were involved in that as well. But what I will say is, so there was there was sexual abuse happening at that very young age, and and at the time you kind of start asking questions, and with with that comes other things as well. You know, you start you start questioning what's your role in this, um, how are you guilty in in making this, you know, ha- having this happen to you from, because there's a lot of accusation that happens as well. Mm. Usually kids who are abused in that way are often made feel guilty about it. Yeah. Um and and that sort of guilt generally speaking pulls through into adulthood as well. I don't know if you've heard that, but quite often that's one of the first signs we we notice in adults as well as there's a tremendous feeling of guilt. Mm. Um, for all sorts of different reasons, but quite often it, it comes back to, well, this is the thing that happened and you were always made to feel that you're responsible for what's being done to you because mm-hmm. it's one of the ways people are manipulated. Um, the other thing that goes alongside that as well as is, is threats, you know, threats to your life. Because if you tell anybody, you know, and if you say to a kid at the age of six, seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, if you tell anybody, I will hit you so hard you will never get up again, I'll kill you. That's a pretty hard thing to hear at that young age yeah. as well. So, and then moving along, you know, moving further down the track from that as well, you're having grown up in South Africa, there are other things as well to contend with. You know, there's, there's violence to contend with. There is, you know, having guns pointed at your face mm-hmm. for no apparent reason other than I'd like to have your cell phone, give yeah. it to me. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a real threat to your life as well. So you kind of have to put those things together and say, um, if I think back to the, to when we had COVID, for example, as a, as a sort of a trace back, because sometimes these things, if you talk about, You've got to deal with a thing in the moment. You've got to deal with a thing later on as well. Sometimes those feelings that you experienced back then come back at a time where you least expect it. Mm. So coming back to that, as I remember during COVID, I went to the, to the pharmacy and they had thermometers. I don't know if you remember that, right? And <laughs> some of these guys had thermometers that point to your forehead yeah. because they just, you know, measure the heat um, that way rather than a, a, rather than a physical touch um, temperature meeting. Yeah. And the fact that someone points something to your forehead wow. is like, oh, this feels very familiar. What? And, and you have to sit back and go, oh, what was, oh, now I know what it was about. That's really important. So even though that might sound like quite a trivial thing, I think it's important that you you do sit back and reflect on why is it that I have just experienced this very emotion? Because mm. experiencing emotion is not the problem. And quite often people say, well, emotions are true. It's like, yep, they are true. But what you need to establish is, are they based on truth? How relevant is that truth? What can I do with whatever that relevance is? Um, and and is it still something for me to, to to have this kind of specific feeling about? I think those are very important things for us to, to consider as, as human beings because if you don't, you tend to just react and respond to whatever comes your way and you never actually ever think about why is it that I feel this way? Why is it that I think this way? I don't want to go into too much of the detail, but one of the things I've personally found very valuable is, um, well, these days you might call it cognitive behavior therapy, but I didn't go for any therapy. I've never gone to a psychologist wow. ever um, to to have to explore what this means, but I've really thought through this. I've made it my point to go and read up about it. Why is it that people feel this stuff and so forth and so forth and so forth? Um, and so one of the really good things is if you sit back and you apply cognitive behavior therapy principles, it's not just the behavior that's important because the behavior comes from an emotion. It's not just the emotion that's important because the emotion comes from a thought. Quite often that's where people stop is what's the thought that triggered the emotion or they stop with the emotion and the behavior and, and don't consider what's the thinking that leads to this. But if you really want to dig into it, you've got to go, well, what's the belief system that sits underneath this thought? Why did that become a, an automatic thought that popped into my head? So why, for example, if I go into the shop and someone points something at my forehead, whether it's a thermometer or anything else, why do I think this way, feel this way, behave this way? Why do I recoil? Well, it's because I felt unsafe. Why did I feel unsafe? Well, because somebody pointed something at my, whoa, okay. And then you got to trace it all the way back to what's the belief that sits underneath this. Gotcha. Because the last time that happened is when somebody pointed a gun at my head. Mm. 
as an example. So I think it's really important to, to, to sort of work your way through this sort of behavior, emotion, thinking, feeling, um, and underlying belief system. And maybe one of the ways I've been talking about it on the podcast or throughout my podcasting career is like these moments happen which lock in as trauma. Mm. And like they just become these feedback loops. Yep. And I, am I getting a sense, Lehan, and you tell me if it's correct, where you've tried to understand that with like there is this feedback loop, yep. but I will recognize it and kind of use it to inform my next de- yes. decision. Almost yep. like to make sure that the feedback loop just doesn't run riot. Yeah. Um, because I think we can all imagine a world in our own minds mm. where it's like A equals B, B equals A, and you can see this pathway just being grinding you into the ground basically. Mm. And and maybe this kind of therapy you're talking about is just like understanding yep. that there's certain things you could control, there's certain traumas that you carry that we all carry, but there is this other and maybe that's where hope comes in. Yeah. You know, so it's like where did where did hope come in for you when you were young? Like did did we were you afforded that? Could you think of things to be hopeful for or did that have to come when you were a bit older? Um, no, I think a lot of it also came through in subtle ways through my through my upbringing. There was always a sense of um, there's there's something that's bigger than the very thing that you go through. Mm. Um, there were lots of stories as well. So I grew up in a Christian home, for example, and there's a lot of stories that comes through that as well, where people have been through some terrible things, you know. And you read through the history and you think to yourself, um, also not just that, I, I grew up in a school where we studied a lot of history, so just general history. And you read about the stuff that our forefathers did, you know, you, you, and, and went through. I mean, the diseases, illnesses, wars, <laughs> horrible things, um, concentration camps, you know, being separated from their families because of invasions. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happened. Um, going further f- further back, you know, ancestors who went to South Africa from the Netherlands. Um, and, you, and you read about the stories where they went on very basic ships, packed a bunch of stuff, went to go and live in this other country to settle there. And you think, well... You know, the only thing they knew was we're going to take some stuff, we're going to go there, we're going to settle down there. That was it. Yeah. And there's some inspiration. So I coming back to hope, I don't know if you can have hope without finding inspiration. Mm. I do think those things go together quite well. Um, so if you're going to look for hope, the, the next question that sits in line is, well, how do you find the inspiration? And conversely as well as how do you find inspiration without there being hope mm. in something? You know, they must have hoped for something, whatever that was, a better life, um, possibly a better life for their children. Who knows what it was? But I do think those things go together quite well. The other thing that I that I found quite valuable is is to take is to take this, and you're probably going to hear that a lot from me, um, is to take what I've been through and not just think about myself and how I can learn from this and grow from this or get through this. I needed to find something to anchor it to to make sure that I'm held accountable as well. And the best way for me to do it is to say to other people, you know what, here's the tough thing that I'm going through. Where can I read more? Rather than how can you help me with it, my question was, where do you think I can read more about this? Where can I find out more about this? I want to learn as much as possible about this thing so that, and so you've got to add the so that. So the so that was, I want to get better so that I can help other people to get through the same thing because I hate seeing people suffer mm. when suffering is not supposed to be the default position. Yeah. And that made me accountable as well. So as soon as I became accountable to other people, and that still is the case, of it, whenever I go through something difficult, the accountability comes from, well, you know what? You must go through this thing so that you can learn about it, so that you can help other people as well. Mm. And that's my hope. And I quite often say to people is if you think – and I mean, you, you probably know this, but I interact with a lot of people every year doing all sorts of different things from mental health to resilience to coping strategies to just leadership. I often say to them, is, if you think that you're sitting across the table from me and you think that I'm doing this to help you, think again, <laughs> you know, because I'm doing this because I want you to become the best that you can be so that. And so my question is, well, so that you can help the people that come on your path as well. I believe that is, and that really gets me excited is when I see someone else, well, do what you do now. I mean, one of the things you're doing is you're doing this podcast because you want to spread hope, mm. spread the stories, and you're using your gifts, you're using your knowledge, you're using 
you know, your passion for this sort of thing, all your experience in it, and you're sharing these stories with people. Mm. And I think there's incredible power in that, and that excites me. Mm. Um, it excites me when I see people do what you do. Well, I've tried to trace it back what is the exciting bit for me. So I think I just am one of those personalities who likes yeah. people. So that's okay. That's that's like a little gift we all have, our own little gifts. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm brave enough to call it a gift, but I, I know I enjoy this moment. I mm. like that – I don't like that I only see you when we have microphones, but I like that we can at least yeah. be incentivized to come together every now and then. Yes. Um, and I hope that to be true for other people. They might be like, I want to be behind the camera. That's my gift. I want to be, you know, everyone should have the space to analyze what it, what they think they're awesome at mm. and then to have some courage or hope that if you follow that, mm. but it's so on the line for me because – you know, that's every second video on Instagram, isn't it? That like, just follow your passion, man. You'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, yeah. And no one talks about when that's not true. Yeah. But I'm testing it in real time, you know, to be like, if you truly uh, have, if you love it so much, you'll work through it like a side hustle for years. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the time will come where you've got to take that step. Yeah. But the thing that, galvanized it for me and i think also what you're talking about is there needs to be a little bit of action yeah you've actually got to like kind of walk towards it and i wonder if you've taken time to think about what that means you know whether that be a trauma a fear an opportunity i feel like a lot of us want to sit back and be like well i'll let you go first and i'll see mm -hmm. how i feel but i actually think life's a bit more about taking that first step mm -hmm. and and hoping something will meet you you know, to be a platform will meet you to stand on. Yeah. Do you believe that to be true? Yeah. Well, I think um, I think it's important to take action to take a step. You know, first of all, because it's one of the most powerful ways to get out of a mindset, whether it's a limiting mindset, whether it's a belief system. Quite often, it's very hard. We've all probably tried it. It's mm. very hard to believe yourself out of a belief system mm. or to think yourself out of a thinking pattern. And we might have touched on this before. Is you, you sometimes you've got to just take a step. Um, why? Simply because it changes your it changes your vision, it changes what you can see, what you can't see. You know, if you stay in the same place, you've got the same view. That's as simple as the principle is. So get up, do something. Second thing is, how will we know what that thing is if we don't give it a shot? And quite often, we've got to try various different things in various different ways. Because quite often, it's about the right thing at the right time, set by the right person in the right way for the right person. At the right time in the right context. <laughs> like, so that's a whole lot of stuff. That's lotto. That's lotto, right? There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to fall into place for that to resonate somehow in some, in some way, shape, or form. The other thing I quite often think about is, um, you know, is it, is it, is it the magnitude or is it the, the size of, let's say, the audience, for example, that's important, or is it the, the value added to the audience, whatever its size is? So I've, for a long time, you know, I do do a lot of speaking and so forth as well. Quite often, you know, you kind of go, well, I want to have a message for every single person in the audience. It's like, well, I'm not there to please them all. Mm. I'm there to say something that will be of value to the one person that needs to hear it right there and then. And if I, if I can do that, it sounds like I'm setting the bar quite low, but it definitely helps with, with crafting a message as well. The other thing I also do is I don't like doing um, planned speeches i like to do q a awesome because q and I, I can sort of have a bit of banter going on with the audience as well and really see where they're at mm. but it's because the passion is there to address the specific need of that specific person whoever they might be yeah. and through that process also answer the questions for other people who might be in the audience 10 to 1 have the same questions they're just not asking it um so i think there's a lot of power in um not having to meet everybody's needs but meet the needs of the people who are most in need of it at the time mm. um, because that's purpose rather than quantity. Yeah. You know, and I think purpose is an incredibly powerful um, motivator. The second thing alongside that as well as, you know, if you think, if you think, and this is maybe an interesting thing, I might have to calculate this, <laughs> but if you think about, if you think about it this way, if you can influence a thousand people, so let's say for example, I speak to, you know, a thousand people in once in one talk. You know that might that might be that what might well be the case. If you if you can influence a thousand people and make that the goal, and they then go from there and they go, wow, um, 
that means a lot to me. I'm going to, I'm going to influence a thousand people in my lifetime as well. And they go and, you know, help a thousand people. That's like a thousand times a thousand times a thousand. Then you, by influencing those thousand people, have influenced a billion people. Mm. Now, that's one other way of thinking about it as well. It's not necessarily the people that we interact with. Once again, it goes, it goes to the, the, the notion of, yes, I'm going to interact with this group of people, but actually, they're going to interact with other people as well who will interact with other people. And so that's the real influence. That's the power of doing this exponential value add to society. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing as well, when you talk about action, you know, one other way to maybe think about it, and it's not mathematically or psychologically correct, but it's a nice way to visualize it. And I might have to calculate this. Just give me a minute. I'm yeah, going okay. to rip out my phone quickly. But, you know, if you, if you, if you think about it this way, so let's say you've got um, – Let's say you do one thing every single day of your life, 365 days. So let's say you do that. At the end of this year, 1 to the power 365. So 1 to the power 365 gives you what? 1. So let's say you do one little thing extra. You go 1.01 to the power 365. That gives you, well, 37.78. So let's say you go... I'm going to do one extra thing differently every single day. You go 1.02 to the power 365. That goes up to 1,377. All right, now we go 1.03 to the power 365. Gives you 48,482. <laughs> See where I'm going with this? Eh? Yeah. So, so by doing one little thing extra every single day that is an improvement – and the opposite is also true. You know, if you do one little thing extra every day that is a negative, mm. then it goes down in the same by the same magnitude as well. So very quickly by doing little things differently every single day, taking a step, it doesn't have to be a big step, but take mm. a step mm. and then the next step and the next step. And before you know it, you've gone from one meter to 1.01 to 1.02. And, and you've gone from doing one thing to 48,000 you know, in the space of 365 days. That's one way to visualize the power in taking that sort of step. Mm. And that's where I think people often forget the hope really lies. The hope is in that take the step. It's not the big goal yet. I mean, the big goal is out there, but how do you know that the big goal is where you're supposed to go? It's the same with archaeology we spoke about earlier on. Most people go with a hunch. And then they take a step. You know, they put the planning in place. They get their team together. They get the resources together, and they start digging. They don't know what they're going to find. They think they know what they're going to find. And then they find other things quite often before they find the thing that they were looking for, yeah. right? And those things that they find together actually puts together a very nice narrative and a very nice story that eventually gets written up in a, in a, in a history book. One of the reasons why I love watching documentaries is the process of discovery. It's not the discovery itself. It's the process of discovery that's exciting us to say, wow, man, look at what these people have gone through. Look at how many times the equipment broke down. Look at how many times they went through, I don't know, had to run away from lions or whatever it is. It's the story that makes it so powerful, mm. not the fact that they've achieved it. It's the story because that's where other people find the inspiration as well. You know, otherwise we're all going to sit here and go, well, Bill Gates is wealthy. Great. But what did it take to get there? Mm. That's where the hope is. I think hope for other people, not just for ourselves, is in being able to tell the story of how did I get there because that's the inspiration where people see, you know what, you've, you've gone along a path that I can, I can follow that path and I can see that you've struggled through this as well. You've made it. That gives me hope. Yeah. And I wonder you talk about Bill Gates and people. We look at the people who have made it and then I just think it's tough because you're not privy to all of their – Insights, knowledge, experience. One of the hunches I have is that if you can harness your pain, mm. it can be a driver, a focus point in terms of um, zooming in on a particular area and then becoming really amazing at that and working out how to, you know, I guess capitalize on that. Have Has that been any part of your journey, Lehan? Do you think you would be the dude we're here with today if you weren't trying to like, Sort that out and how that all works from your past. Mm, I well, I'd maybe first go down this track. Where I think there's there's once again, it's really important to think about this stuff. I always I, I like thinking about things. I yeah. like 
going, well, what's the, what's the real meaning behind this? Um, and then I'd like to be clear about things as well. So we're going to talk about um, trauma, for example. I think we need to be very clear that trauma is exactly that. It's traumatic. And, and one of the things I th- think we've done in society is we've, we've, we've redefined what these things mean. You know, there's a big difference between trauma and pressure and discomfort. Right. Right. So that's one of the things I needed to clarify for myself as well is, is this uncomfortable or is this actually traumatic? And what about it specifically is traumatic? And what about it is uncomfortable? So, and sometimes those things happen at the same time as well, you know, so you can kind of go, well, maybe this situation was traumatic at the time. Does it still need to be traumatic right now? But the process of getting through the thinking process and the belief system, that's not traumatic. That's very uncomfortable. But it's a necessary uncomfortable, the same way you go to the gym to go and, you know, it's not traumatic to get sore muscles, or it depends on how sore they are, I guess, but it's not traumatic to go and get sore muscles, but it's a necessary part of the process to be uncomfortable and to be sore and to, you, you've got to experience that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's important is we've got to distinguish and be very clear on what is the thing that I that I'm experiencing? What is the thing that I'm thinking? Why am I thinking this? And it sounds like a lot of work because it is a lot of work. But here's the thing. If people say to me it's a lot of work, I say, well, yes, it is. But isn't it better to do a lot of work now and get through this thing rather than be uncomfortable, miserable the rest of your life? You know, Mm -hmm. what's worse? So let's go through this thing. Let's deal with this thing that we need to deal with Um, and and then find inspiration in that as well, which is very hard to do. Um, But it's absolutely possible. I mean, you can ask, you can ask me, um, you know, think, or you can ask anybody really is tell me about an inspirational story that really gets you excited. You're like, tell me an inspirational story. And quite often it starts with a story of a lot of pain, Mm. possibly a lot of trauma. And I'm sort of going, well, how do we have inspiration in the world and hope in the world? Therefore, unless there is some sort of trauma, you know, we cannot read these books about Edmund Hillary climbing a mountain. We can't, read these book, books about Bill Gates and what he started, for example. We can't read any of the stuff without experiencing, understanding that they, it comes from a place of deep pain quite often that people, and that's the inspiration, people stood up from that and then they used it and that's the real kicker. It's not just that they stood up from it. It's to look at that and say, wow, man, they, they got some inspiration from it and look how many other people they've inspired through that yeah. process. Yeah, That's powerful. And I think we've got we've got to bring a focus on that as well as there is – it's like, you know, we talk about resilience. There's no resilience without something to be resilient about. Mm. So that's one of the questions I get a lot in audiences is how do I help my kids to be resilient? And I go, well, stop taking things that will help them to become resilient away from them. <laughs> you know, they must experience this stuff. Yeah. You just help help them through the process, um, coach them through that as well, mm. or find someone who can help them with that as well. It doesn't have to be used as a parent necessarily, but find find a reason to carry on, find a reason, whatever that reason is. Quite often it's to give hope to other people, find inspiration. Mm. Mm. Have you had any thoughts on where the bottleneck is in society at the moment? You know, New Zealand per capita has horrible stats. If we look at things like self-harm and all of that stuff, it's it's kind of unbelievable to think that we're this beautiful country. Yeah. When you look at a picture, the more you zoom in, it becomes a little bit ugly. Yeah. And – I don't think it's that obvious why. Mm. I think there's obviously lots of contributing factors. That's actually the word that when you explore mental health, can people love to cite contributing factors, and I get that. Yeah. But, I, you know, I guess it's just like what the bit I'm struggling to understand is like the sun comes up and you know that mm. unless you've forgotten that. Mm. How the hell do we remind people that you're the superhero in your story you are the Rocky mm. because his most of Rocky's story sucks. It only worked out right at the end and then yeah. the movie stops straight away, right? He gets yeah. his moment in the sun and then it freezes yeah. and goes to the graphic. Yeah. Well, in Rocky land, he lives the rest of his days A-OK. Yeah. So how do we frame it that people can be the Rocky in their story? I just yeah. I don't know how to do that. It's a tricky one, and I'll tell you why it's a tricky one. <clears throat> the tricky one, the, the reason why it's tricky is because quite often we're looking for the one, we're looking for the one answer that'll solve everybody's problems. And quite often, or most often, I'd say, what I find is that everybody, even though those stories and the ways that people can get through this 
might have similar themes to it or similar processes to it or similar parts to it, they're essentially very, very different. Because you've, you've, almost, you've almost got to go back to you know, asking the questions that I've asked myself is, why am I behaving this way? Why am I feeling this way? Why did I think this? What's the belief system that sits underneath all of this? Um, and then look for the common themes that pop out from that as well. And quite often also, almost put people in a position where they can make a valuable contribution to other people because that's quite often where the discovery comes from is they realize, I didn't know that I can add value to someone else because of this thing um, and and stop comparing ourselves. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Will, but there was a, um, a time when I was doing some work with a, um, a, a group, different groups of really large organizations and we did some work for communities. Um, one of the communities was in a, a part of the country where people have TVs, they have houses, they've got cars, they've got jobs. It's just not as good as the jobs and the cars and the TVs in other parts of the country. We saw a tremendous amount of um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, substance abuse, um, uh, a lot of abuse as well, depression, anxiety, all that stuff sat over there big time compared to the rest of the country. And two weeks later, I ended up in this place in the middle of nowhere where people still live in, you know, they're still living in huts. They live off the land. You want to eat something, you've got to go and catch a chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, or run after the chicken. And by then you're so hungry, you just want to eat it, feathers and all. But no alcohol abuse, no drug abuse, no unhappiness, no suicide, no self-harm, no, none of that. These people are happy because they don't know what they don't have. They yeah. just know what they do have and they focus on that. And I think there's a big thing about that as well as appreciation. So we can talk about appreciation for what I have because there's no hope in wishing for what you don't have. There is a lot in saying, well, thank, I'm thankful for what I do have. Now, we've got a lot going for us in New Zealand. It's a, um, maybe that's part of it is we don't necessarily know how to compare ourselves to other places mm. where things do go pretty, you know, things get pretty gnarly. Um, you might have seen some of those pictures during COVID lockdowns where people distributed these photos of people who are in lockdown living in a one, not even a one bedroom apartment, but they have to sleep in the, in the bath, for example, you know, Mm. you look at that and you think, well, man, compared to that, we actually have something pretty good going on and to varying degrees. I mean, there are people who struggle with other things as well. One of the things I've consistently found um, predicting things like um, depression, anxiety, self-harm, and it's not just bad in New Zealand. It's pretty, it's, Pretty pretty bad everywhere. I mean, the statistics are, are quite, you know, sort of one in four people, one in five people struggling with depression, anxiety. Um, I did a study a few years ago um, and looked at self-harm in the UK, and I found a sample with 33% self-harm in university, in a university. That's a lot of self-harm. But the thing that I found consistently predicting that is something called rumination, which is similar to worry, mm. um, and particularly concerns about the future. Not so much what happened in the past, which is quite interesting because quite often we hear that it's it's past traumatic experiences that leads to all of these things. And yes, mm. they do to some extent. But what maintains that is concerns about the future. And quite often it's concerns about the future that the thing that happened in the past might repeat itself in some way, shape or form in the future. So that's that's quite a big thing. And so my question is, well, how do we then stop this thing called rumination or worry and the simplest answer I've got for that and have found over the years is you've got to get up and take some proactive action to do things that are constructive, that has an outcome. It's not the big goal. The big goals are useful, but it's the steps that you take towards that big goal and actively look for ways to find inspiration in those, achieving those little steps. And we talked about it a bit earlier on is it really is, I don't want to say it's that simple because it's very hard work, right? Because you've got to find people who will hold you accountable, but take a step. Take a step. If you need to go and see a doctor to get the help that you need to get, go for it. If you need to go and see a psychologist, go for it. But quite often, many of us suffer in silence and some mm. of us suffer in not so much silence. Mm. But we need to take the step, whatever it might be, and take it as soon as possible. It's one of the, it's one of the key things as well if you ever have to help somebody with a mental, with a mental health concern is to help them to take proactive steps as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because the ownership is important. Um, it's one of it's one of the key therapeutic um, principles is help people to take ownership of getting better. For example, sooner the better. Yep, and I think people. Well, I'm trying to make a case where you should really believe that's the solution. Mm. <laughs> you know, I 
I think I'm fiercely optimistic, and that's just part of my nature, part of my the privilege I've had growing up, and just whatever my mindset is. But the closest I got to, you know, feeling kind of that worry, that pressure, was when I had handed my power over to other people to control my outcome, mm. and it really started to bug me. Mm. I wouldn't say I was traumatized by it, but I could feel like if that carries on, I'm dog tucker here, mm. you know, because the more power people get over you, yep. the less you have, and it's like this vicious, vicious cycle. And because I'm in a position, well, we had to take some steps, but I'm in a position where we took a forward step and, you know, guy who's producing the podcast, he'll back me up on this. There's a lot of hope that, you know, you're waiting for things, but yeah. you've influenced that. Mm. You've taken forward steps. And I just, I couldn't believe when it started working because I I think I thought that it wouldn't. Yeah. That's our fear, right? We think it won't work. Yeah. But it works, man. Yeah. You know? And now I'm like, there's no back steps here. Yeah. Take more steps within the limits, you yeah. know, know your limits and, you're not you're just trying to kind of be that character in your story but like you say i really want people to believe that if you take a step there'll be something to meet you and i actually think that's where i wish i was sometimes a bit more faith-based because I'm, I'm sure that's what it comes down to that i believe something's there mm. and that when i need it most it will catch me i don't think it is that it's i'm going somewhere nice after i die I think it's a tool to be used to help you fulfill your mission here, mm. which is to live a damn good life on your terms that helps others. If that was what religion meant, I think I'd be all in. And I think it is. <laughs> so I think I'm all in. I think we just get tied up in this human story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, this, the story you tell, the, the thing that you talk about, I mean, that's an age old, it's an age old principle. Um, it becomes very meaningful for someone like me, for example. My faith is is not pretty strong. It is, it's unwavering. Mm. And it's simply as a case of, I've seen it work so many times, um, even in the bad times, because quite often what we do is we hope for better times. And I go, well, what if the better times don't come? Hmm. Like, What perspective is there? There's got to be a bigger perspective. Um, and so in our case, for example, one of the things I describe um, quite often to people is, um, I, I think there's four layers of, let's say, perspective. I think perspective is a very, very important um way to maintain hope as well. So yes, you can sort of go, I think the lowest form of perspective is to say, well, how big is this thing in comparison to other things? You know, is it, is it, if it's a molehill versus a mountain, you know, that's one useful way to look at a perspective. But I think that's the lowest form of perspective, not lowest as in low, it's low as in there are other hierarchies to that as well. Um, and so that's one way to look at it. The second way is to say, well, how does this compare to what other people are going through? It's like, well, Maybe I am better off than other people, but mm. so what is my question to that? So what if you're better off than other people? It becomes only meaningful because that's the other side to this. Perspective only becomes meaningful if you go, well, because of that reason, what can I do with that? That's the next thing, right? So there's meaning that needs to overlay the perspective as well. The third way to then look at perspective is to say, okay, well, if it's, you know, so what I want to say is if, if what if what I'm going through is the worst thing there is to go through and other people are actually going through better things than I'm going through, what do I compare it to then? So that perspective doesn't always work logically. The third way to say is, well, what if, what if this, what if this is um, not as big as an almighty God, which is also quite useful, but it doesn't always work so well when that's a vengeful almighty God. So that's the third layer of perspective. And many religions also have that. But then the fourth layer of perspective would be, what if, what if this is not bigger than an almighty loving God who will use whatever happens for the best? And so that's the perspective I always have is if, if whatever happens is the best thing that can happen because I don't necessarily know where it's going to lead, but I trust, and that's a big deal, it, I trust that it will lead to something good, not just for me, but maybe for other people. And that for me is quite meaningful. I, I always think that there's got to be there's got to be something meaningful that sits within hope as well. You know, you can't have hope. So there's this third thing now. You cannot have hope on its own. You've got to have hope with inspiration and I think also with meaning. So something must be meaningful. I think it'll be very difficult to have something that is hopeful but not meaningful mm. necessarily. Mm. So let's find the meaning in something as well. So purpose, 
you might have heard me say this before, it's purpose, it's meaning, and it's significance. And then the inspiration comes from that as well as how do I add value? How do I find inspiration because of this thing, not necessarily in this thing? Um, and how do I how do I transfer that inspiration to light a fire for someone else who can – this is a great story that might actually um, link to very well within the um, New Zealand context where um, <clears throat> Maori warriors back in the days used to um, lay down the silver fern upside down as they walked through, through the forest so that the others who follow them in the dark can light a torch and the, the silver fern side up will, will reflect the light on the path. So for me, that's kind of where it is, is, is how do we, how do we lay down some of those silver ferns for people? You know, you can apply that to all sorts of other generations and, and cultures and ethnicities and countries as well as what is the thing that I'm going to take from this, um, to lay down for others, whether it's my own children, whether it's other people to follow in those footsteps. And can I meet them along the way or can I put other people in place to meet them along the way to help these people? Because if we can help them, they can help someone else. You know, the world is a better place for everyone. Mm. Might not always be a happier place, but it will be a better place. And I think that's also the other thing is we've got this happiness ideal, which is such a shallow thing. Um, happiness is not, you know, happiness is a consequence rather than a something that we've got to go and seek. Mm. But beyond happiness, how do we find fulfillment? And I think that's probably a bigger question is, is fulfillment. So joy, satisfaction, happiness, those are all nice but I think they're empty. Um, fulfillment is the biggie. Mm. You can find fulfillment even when you're not necessarily joyful or happy um, or satisfied. You can still find fulfillment, which is a which is a big concept to go and find as well. Um, the next topic of your book, maybe? Maybe the next topic of the book. There we go. That's a, that's a big yeah. one. <laughs> uh, when you were talking about the you know the ancient warriors turning over the the fern. That's what I sometimes hope that these chats do. Yes. They leave a breadcrumb. Yes. You know, so that wherever you are in your journey, you can, it means something to you because it does. Mm -hmm. And I hope algorithms <laughs> help us in that way. You know, at the moment, I think they make us these predictable, easy to beat, you know, archaic meat sacks that we are. But I hope it um, changes a bit where it yeah. looks to optimize us and, brings out the best side of our human nature as opposed to the other side it's bringing out, which mm. is very divisive and non-trusting and fearful-based stuff. So, mm. you know, um, who knows, but I am optimistic that that will be the case. Um, as we kind of wrap up, um, what's on your horizons? What what do you hope for? What am I hoping for? It's a, it's a, I hope for a lot of things, Will. I hope – I, mean, I suppose one of the biggest hopes I've got is that more and more people will find inspiration. More and more people will find a reason to to take the things that they struggle with um, and turn it into something that is incredibly powerful. So it's it's funny it's funny you ask that question because this is something that always plays on my mind constantly. Is you know whether I go and you know do a podcast with you or whether I go and do you know another speech or a or a workshop. You know, when it really clicks for me is when I see someone take, you know, even if it's just a little lesson from that and they, they make it grow, they water it, they nurture it, and it grows and it creates shade for someone else. You can put a swing in the tree, whatever it is. That really floats my boat. Um, I remember a few weeks ago I ran a workshop for a large organization. And, <clears throat> you know, you normally get the happy sheets people fill in. They go, oh, that was a great workshop. Really love the way you facilitate all that kind of stuff. That, I mean, that's great. But what really got me going was when I saw two people within the workshop catch up afterwards and I could hear them say, um, you know, what you shared in the workshop is exactly what I experienced eight years ago. If ever you want to talk, let's catch up. Mm. In fact, let's just do that. And so these two people experienced the very, the very same thing. But one of them realized in the workshop that it will help her if she is that person who lays down the silver ferns for someone else. Mm. So that's what keeps me going is how can I spread a bit more of that, not so much to help people, but to help people to help other people, mm. to help people to become a beacon of hope for someone else. I mean, that really floats my boat. So that's why I'm here, man. Yeah. Talking yeah. to you. That's what you're doing. And I, I'd love to be a part <laughs> of that as well. Dude, it's been fun to get to know you over the years and to go on our journeys of discovery through chatting. You know, it is really a beautiful thing that I've, didn't know that that would be there in life to have fun talking. But of course that is a bedrock mm. of humanity. Hey, eh? you know, when yeah. the chips are down, 
we sit in the cave and we imagine what could be and nothing's changed in terms of that optimism still has to come from chatting with someone else. I think there's something beautiful in if you want to help yourself, help someone else. Mm. Like probably in other circles it's called service, which yeah. is lost a little bit. But um, yeah, like you're saying, you're helping you by sitting down to help someone else. And, um, you know, I'm building a business using that, yeah. <laughs> which is cool, you know, yeah. watching people have their own podcasts, their own shows, and we're sitting here facilitating these awesome chats, and um, it's it's good stuff. Where yeah. can people follow you if they want to reach out or, or um, um, book in? Yeah, so the I've got a website. The website is www.dealwithit, one word, .co.nz, and then I'm all over social media as well. So LinkedIn, Facebook, um um, on Twitter as well and on Instagram. So you search my name, you'll find me over there somewhere. Beautiful. Um, best way to can, get into contact with me is just through LinkedIn. I, I do check that quite often. You do because that's where I came to ask <laughs> you to come today. Thank you for sharing a, a beacon with us today, brother. Thanks, man. This episode of A Beacon of Hope is proudly brought to you by Campfire Studios. Campfire Studios is an impact-led organisation amplifying the voices of Māori and Pacifica communities via podcasting and video content. To find out more, visit campfirestudios.co.nz. Thank you for tuning in to this Frequency of Hope in our podcast today. If you found value from this episode and want to hear more, I would love it if you could follow, subscribe and rate our show. By doing so, you will increase the frequency of the Beacon of Hope. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other platform, please take a moment to hit the follow or subscribe button and leave a rating and review. I truly appreciate your support and feedback and it helps us make our podcast even better. Thank you. Be good. Be safe. And be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like that song, doesn't it? Be happy. All right, Mama, yeah. we stop there, right? Eh? Yeah, okay. okay. All right.